You know, God's grace and God's compassion, God's love, God's mercy, all of these things we need, all of these things we cherish, all of them we're grateful for, and we know that all of them are extended to us in the gospel. Isn't the gospel the good news of God's grace and mercy and compassion and love? Isn't that the gospel? Indeed, it is. God's love, undeserving. God's compassion to the lowly. God's mercy on the sinner. God's love, unconditional. That is indeed the gospel. But what about God's righteousness? God's righteousness. His rightness in judgment. Is that the gospel? Indeed, it is. Without God's righteousness in judgment, there would be no good news. There would be no us on the other side of the cross, us forgiven, us free, us recipients of grace, mercy, and love. Without his justice, there would be none of it. So the gospel is also about God's righteousness, and not just his uh, rightness in his moral character and his choosing, his always making right choices, but his rightness in judgment. His righteousness in rewarding the holy and punishing the wicked. That's his righteousness. It's all about justice. The scary thing for us as humans is when we realize and we stand before the righteousness of God, one, a God who judges perfectly, who says, no guilty person will go unpunished. It terrifies us because we all know that we are guilty. We are all guilty before God. And so our righteousness must um, be acceptable to God. Anything we do that is right, any right choices, right? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and, and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The most holy of the holier peoples. They never got anything wrong according to the law. Like as Paul says, according to the law, I'm blameless. Paul was a Pharisee. He ticked off all the right boxes. And here Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a heavy weight. A weight that is literally unbearable. None of us can be more righteous than the Pharisees. Romans 3 tells us, For there is none righteous. It says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And again in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Therefore you must be perfect as your Father in heaven, as perfect. Who can bear such a weight? When we look in the mirror, and we only even see a glimmer of the sinfulness of our hearts, and we know, that's not me. I'm not perfect. I'm not more righteous than the Pharisees. How, then, is heaven for me? And that's where you get to the justice of God. The justice of God, which you standing before him as a guilty sinner, says, yes, indeed, guilty. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God forever. Yes, guilty. 
And so how is their justice served? Well, through Christ, of course. The book of Romans is all about this, uh, what has happened in the gospel. Not just the, the grace, mercy, and compassion of God. We, we see those things threaded throughout the entirety of Romans and the entire Bible. But we also see the justice of God, the righteousness of God. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. I promise I'm not starting the book over again. Uh, seven years in Romans, this is the finale. Just shy of 200 sermons in Romans, and this will summarize it all. Romans chapter 1 is where Paul speaks of this gospel. He's got a gospel, this good news, this message, this declaration, this person that he's not ashamed of. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because for, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then it goes on, the very next verse, sometimes because our, our Bibles might break these paragraphs, we miss out on the next part. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's the gospel. The wrath of God revealed, just like in verse uh, 17, or sorry, yeah, 17, it says the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Those two are the one and the same. The righteousness of God and the wrath of God on the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's what Paul says here is what is revealed in the gospel that he is not ashamed of. He is not ashamed to tell people that uh, in our unrighteousness and in our ungodliness, the wrath of God is revealed against that. The gospel shows us that. The good news about Jesus shows us that, that God has a hatred for sin. And he will not let sin go unpunished. His wrath will be revealed against every single ounce of sin. That's God's righteousness. He would not be righteous. He would not be a good judge if he swept it under the rug. If he said, never mind that. He must punish it. So he does. And that's what the gospel is. This gospel that Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm never going to back down from this gospel where God's righteousness, not only his perfection in morality and holiness, but also his rightness in judgment, it is revealed. And then he says at the end of verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, the righteous, according to Romans chapter 3, is none of us. Here in chapter 1, he gives us hint as to how we can be declared righteous. We live by faith. We live by faith. How in the world could we ever be more righteous than the Pharisees? Here it says, in the gospel, we live by faith. We trust what God has done. Romans chapter 3, if you want to flip there, Romans chapter 3 is where we run into kind of this we have the problem, and we begin to see the problem unfold about this unrighteousness, but also 
the righteousness of God that is upheld. Look here at Romans chapter 3. I don't know if your Bible has a, a heading, which is obviously extra biblical. The translators put them in. But mine says at the beginning of verse 9, no one is righteous, which is a good summary for this section. Verse 9 says, what then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They have together become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The, ben the venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the human plight. No one, not a single one, has turned the right way. We've all turned aside, become this worthless, as it says here, without Eternal worth in God's kingdom. So then, this is a devastating reality of part of the gospel, is the, the bad news. The, the true news of who we really are. And in it, the gospel shows us God's righteousness and judgment. And so then, we stand before this text and this truth and say, that I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. If this says, none are righteous, and I, and I know myself, I know that I'm not righteous. That all have turned aside, I know I've turned aside. That I don't do good, that's me. So I stand before this truth in the right judgment of God on me that says guilty, and I stand and I tremble and I say, I'm not worthy. I can't come. I, I don't belong to heaven. I, I can't get in. And that's exactly where we need to be. That's the only place that we can be to say, how then must I be saved? What must I do to enter the kingdom? Because it's not my own righteousness. It's not nothing, anything I can do. So then enters the full justice of God at the cross. My sin taken care of. Not swept away. Not just forgotten. But my record of wrongdoing. On Christ. Every one of my unrighteous, unworthy, filthy sins on Christ and the judgment of God penalizing it. The God is righteous to judge my sin. And that's why the, the gospel is so heartbreaking for us who say, well, I'm not worthy and it's not fair that Jesus should die for me. It's not fair. He should not have to pay the eternal wrath of God for me. That's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. You should have to pay that. That's the beauty of Christ. Is that he, in his grace, you don't deserve it. In his love, unconditional. It wasn't because you had sorted out two things. In his compassion, because you were so lowly. He said, I will take their sin upon myself. And I will face the wrath of God. So that the wrath of God can be satisfied towards that sin. The wrath, and that's why I love the imagery where Jesus in the garden, where he is, he is so grieved by what is to come, 
that he sweats drops of blood, right? In, in such agony, such stress. Was it over the, the lashes? No. Was it over the nails? No. The humiliation? No. It was over the impending wrath of God. Not on his sin, but on yours. Because he says, if there is any other way, take, let this cup pass from me. And the cup, in the imagery of scripture, is a cup of God's wrath. Jesus says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Let, there, let the cup go a different way. Let your wrath just be done away with. But he says, I know there's no other way. So I'll drink it to the full. So because the, the wrath of God towards your sin is empty on Christ, it's emptied on him. That's why we can say, Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation left for you. But that's what makes the gospel so unfair. Jesus, the righteous son of God, should not have to face his wrath. You're right, he shouldn't. That's the only way. It's the only way. Jesus coming as a man to stand on our behalf as man, but coming as God to stand on God's behalf. He is 100% God, 100% man. He's the only worthy sacrifice for you and for me. So that we might be more righteous than the Pharisees. So that we might, as uh, chapter 1 verse 17 says, that the righteous shall live by faith. That we might be declared righteous, right, morally acceptable to God. Look here at chapter 3 again. And, and verse 20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will ever be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the Pharisees, they thought the law would make them Right, that it would justify them, that if they ticked all the boxes, God would look at them and say, yeah, you're righteous. But here it says, since the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin, the more you run into the law, the more you realize you're a rebel. You want to break that law. You want to push the boundaries. The law shows us our sinfulness. And then the good news comes to a, a height here. Look at verse 21. But now. So there's no way you can be righteous. There's no way you can be justified in, in obeying the law. But now, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. As in, apart from you ticking the boxes. Apart from you obeying the, the, all the commands. God's righteousness has been revealed. Where has it been revealed? Well, it says the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the, the whole Bible has shown this, has pointed to this. Verse 22 tells us what it is. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So the righteousness of God, it's for all who believe. God's righteousness, his perfection in choice, his perfection in holiness God's righteousness is for those who would believe. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ, it says. And it says there's no distinction. We all need it. This is the only way because, verse 23, well-known verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have belittled God when we choose sin over him, when we push the boundaries over giving him worship as he deserves obedience as he deserves. 
When he says no, we say, but can't I just, we belittle him and his holiness and his perfection. So none of us are free from this guilt. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So basically another way to say that verse is all are unrighteous. All have not kept the law perfectly. All have sinned and we have belittled God and robbed him of glory. But verse 24 tells us how we become acceptable. And we are justified. We are, that means our record is done away with. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen carefully. This is how it took place. Verse 25. It was in Christ Jesus, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show what? God's love? Jesus put forward as the atoning sacrifice, the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. That's what propitiation is. He stood on your behalf and absorbed what you deserve. That's a propitiation. So it says, he did this. This was to show, verse 25, God's grace, his compassion, his mercy. No, it says here, this was to show God's righteousness. That God wouldn't just sweep away your sin without being the right judge that he is to deal with it. It was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He was so patient. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amazing to see what God designed to take place. The gospel, as Paul opened this letter by saying, in this gospel that I'm not ashamed of, the righteousness of God is revealed and then he says again here what we might expect him to say, you know, this is to show God's love. Putting Christ forward for us is to show his love. It does show his love. Or it's to show his grace. Well, it does show it. But ultimately here it was to display his righteousness. That he was a God true to his word. That he is a God true to his character. And that he never shifts or changes. It was to show God's righteousness and that's the only way we could know that our sin is forgiven, that you wouldn't just be feeling tomorrow like, I'm not really sure. Because if God just like forgot it, well, he could remember it again. Or if God just like put it aside, well, he could call it forward again. Sometimes like our spouses do as human beings, we do that. I forgive you, and yet it's still on the shelf. So if you need ammo later in an argument, you just pull it out. Say, remember that? You say, hey, I thought I was forgiven. Well, it's still there, and I'm holding it against you now. We do that as human beings because we are not just. Uh, but God in his righteousness says, if, if he didn't actually punish the sin and deal with it, then he could have it on the shelf. He could. And so people could be constantly worried, like, well, what if I screwed up? And what if my sin just gets put back on me or counted back to me again? Well, this is the only way for sin to have been dealt with. Fully punished. There was nothing left toward that sin in you. It was all on Christ, and so there's nothing left for God to accuse you of on the day of judgment. This is the only way that God's righteousness would be revealed and that his love 
mercy, compassion, and grace could be realized to you and to me. It was through the righteousness of God. It's amazing. Because if there is just this justice of God, absent of love, what would it mean for us? It means he wouldn't have come. He would have just poured out his wrath on us one day. But he was loving. He was gracious. And he was merciful. This is his gift of grace, it says in verse 24. Grace. None of us deserved it. That's why it says in verse 27, and what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. We don't get to boast. It was not like you had done something right or, or worthy of this. Verse 24 is by his grace as a gift. Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Showing his righteousness as it says, verse 25 and verse 26. His righteousness displayed. So not just displayed though. It's also counted to us, credited to us. His righteousness, Jesus' moral choices, his right living was credited to us so that we could be more righteous than the Pharisees, so that we would be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect because that's the only way. Without holiness, you will not see God. How can we do it? Romans chapter 4 tells us, tells us about Abraham. And how Abraham was justified. How was his uh, sin dealt with so that he could be acceptable to God? Was it that he was just a righteous man who always obeyed? No. It, tell, it tells us that he was saved by faith. Look at Romans chapter 4 there. Verses 3 uh, through 5. It says, what does scripture say then? Abraham believed God. He trusted. He had faith in God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. That faith is counted as righteousness. It's, it's imputed to us. Christ's righteousness. For he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Corinthians 5.21 The righteousness of God counted to us. It was through his obedience, Christ's obedience, that we can stand before God, just, acceptable, holy. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 19 says, Through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. One man will be declared righteous, many of us. So then, if God has declared us righteous, acceptable, holy, because of all that Christ has done, how then should we live? Do we just kick back and say, I am so glad for the gospel that it not only displays to me God's love for me, God's grace towards me, but God's righteousness so that my, I'm justified. Freely forever. Now what? Do I sit back and do as I please? Well, no, that, that gospel, that, that understanding that you don't deserve it, that it's not fair, that understanding that, that it is all of grace towards you, it transforms you. 
It transforms you. At first, when you realize it, you're transformed in such a way that you want to share it with everyone you know. You think, how can this be? This is so unfair that I, a sinner, would be forgiven. And I want you to be forgiven. And I want you to, I want you to feel what I feel. I'm free. At first, that's how we experience it. And then as we grow and mature, do we get stale? We shouldn't. We get more afraid? Absolutely. But why? Why? Why do we just stop talking? Why do we stop sharing? It's interesting because you think over time we should be maturing, right? We should be growing in our gratitude, in our understanding. The more we grow in our understanding of the Bible, the more we're going to realize how holy God really is and how sinful we truly are. The more you grow as a Christian, the more you are going to realize you are such an utter sinner, which leads to a grand Grand gratitude before God, which leads to uh, elevated worship. leads to all that he so rightly deserves in us. And as he transforms us, that's what happens. And so that transformation doesn't just say, oh, well, I'm good. I got my get out of jail free card. And now I sit back and do nothing. I did that. And now I can live as I please. And, you know, God's gracious, right? God's merciful, right? I'm justified, right? Well, the evidence that you're justified, the evidence that, that that has truly happened for you is that your heart will be full of hatred for sin. Not just in everybody else, but in yourself. It starts at home. I, I, I hate what I've become. I hate what I'm doing. It's like you see the struggle in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, the good things I want to do, I can't do them. And I don't like it. I hate it. And the bad things that I don't want to do, why do I do them? I hate this considers himself a wretched man and he knows that he's torn. He's like, man, I want to please God, but I, I'm just having a hard time. That's what the Christian life is. is this real struggle of going, I'm stuck in this flesh with these desires and, and my own sinfulness and my selfishness, but I, I hate what it does to me. Because it makes me selfish and it makes me not honor God first and honor others second. I hate what it's doing to me. I want to put him first and others second. God's righteousness not only forgives us and frees us and justifies us, but it changes us. His righteousness sanctifies us and grows in us. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Fruit grows. That's what God is doing in us and through us. It was through His obedience that we're declared righteous, but then isn't His righteousness displayed in us? Isn't it growing in us? Should we just carry on sinning now that we're forgiven? That's the, that should be the conclusion you come to if you truly understand the gospel. Because the gospel is, well, I didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, it wasn't that I did the right thing and, and I did the right uh, list of things. That's why I'm forgiven. It was only by the grace of God that I'm forgiven. So our conclusion should be then, it doesn't really matter if I sin. That, that's kind of the, the logical conclusion of understanding the gospel rightly. It shouldn't really matter if I sin. And, and Paul anticipates that here in the book of Romans. He says, so, ver chapter 6. So what shall we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace can abound? That's the logical conclusion. The more we sinned, the more sinner we were, the more gracious God was to us. And so Paul says, isn't that the logic? That, you know, as I sin, God gets to display his grace towards me? He says, yes, that makes logical sense, but that's not the way it is. Because you are a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation who doesn't want to try to get away with other things. 
You're a new creation who doesn't just want to get by or have a get-out-of-jail-free card. You're a new creation who wants to please him. So that's why in chapter 6, it says, you know, shall we go on sinning? Well, no, by no means. And most of us would agree with this. We should not keep on sinning because we're in Christ. We also agree with the fact we still struggle. But we know there is this transformation. Look at chapter 6, verse 6. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That, that old man, that flesh, those desires, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. For now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And that's just not eternally. We will live with him now, if we've died with Christ, our old man and all of our sinfulness was on that cross and Christ put it to death. And now we live with him as he is alive. So should we be alive in all of the newness that he brings to us through the forgiveness and grace. So we see sin and we don't want to say, what can I get away with? We see sin and we weep. We see that inclination in our heart and we grieve it because we know it. Grieves God. So we, we ought to recognize sins in our own hearts, in our own lives, and, and hate them all the more. Take stock of your temptations. Take, take stock of your sins. Share them with others so they can be praying for you, so that you can be guarded against them. But do you know the things that you are tempted with? Do you always make the conversation about you? Are you self-centered? Do you... Minimize the anger you have. Do you excuse the bitterness you have towards other people? Do you just laugh off your lack of self-control? Do you pray more about earthly things than spiritual things? Do you live a life of ingratitude? Do you speak poorly of God's people? These are some of the sins that we are not necessarily grieved by at times. But we ought to be, as we're growing and realizing all that the righteousness of God meant for us, not in just in setting us free, but now in transforming us to be choosing what is right and what is good and holy and pure as he enables us to do so. How quickly you and I run into our sin, not just fall into it, we run into it. We embrace it when we can. If we think we don't get caught, oh, may we be those who are broken. The more we look at what was so unfair, Christ the righteous one being punished for my sin. Imagine that. You're about to make a choice. I feel like it might be the wrong choice. I feel like it might be immoral. It might displease God. If you sin and you choose to do that, you know that Christ the righteous one was punished by God's wrath for that. Well, why? Why would you embrace it? The, the more we realize what Christ has done for us, the more we're going to hate the option of our hearts towards sin. Obviously, we're never going to be perfect in this life. But we ought to hate what we have become or hate the old man so much. When we hear Satan calling over the fence, you say, you're not my master anymore. You're not my master. I'm a new creation in Christ. So Romans chapter 6 carries on that way and talks about, well, 
We're not slaves of sin anymore. We've become slaves of righteousness. We, we bind ourselves to the righteousness of God and say, I want my entire self to be used for righteous things. That's what is good and acceptable and holy. I want to be transformed because I want to display God's right justice. I want to weep at sin because I know it. It is devastating in this world. It's devastating in my life. And so, what do we think about the righteousness of God that's been revealed in the gospel? Do we just think the gospel is about love, mercy, grace, peace? It is about those things. But much more it is about the righteousness of God. Because without God's right judgment and his rightness in what he did on Christ, on our behalf, we would not be free. We would not feel loved. We would be trembling day in and day out until we perish in torment forever. The righteousness of God has been revealed. You see that thread through the entirety of this book. Because if it was not the righteousness of God, then we could boast. Then we could say, well, I figured out the right way. I figured out how I could stop doing this and start doing what is good. It's all about God's righteousness. He became the just one. Jesus was just. And the justifier. So because of that, we stand before him, what? Entitled? No, humbled. Humbled. Beyond measure, and the more you realize all that he offers you in Christ, that if you would call upon his name, you would be saved. Say, from what? Remember, it's the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5 says it, you know, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 2 says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the glory of God. We've been uh, made at peace with God because of what Christ has done. Verse 8 of chapter 5 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's died for us. And then it carries on. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? It's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's terrifying to know that if we don't embrace it, the, the book of Romans, the entirety of the scripture says God's wrath is real. God is just and he has right to punish sin. That's why Christ is so precious. He's so beautiful when you see him for all that he is that you've not needed to become something else. You come as you are. Broken, humble, unworthy. He says, come. You're heavy laden with that. Come, and I'll give you rest. And not just for a moment, and not just relief, and not just a false hope, I'm going to give you eternal rest. Because I've taken all that burden off of you. And I've, I've bared it myself even to death on a cross. That's the righteousness of God revealed. This book of Romans is often thought of as just a book of doctrine, just a book of heavy teaching. But as you unpack the teaching, you see it is so much just a book about God. Just a book about God and, and His righteousness from start to finish. Maybe we those, may we be those who then understand his righteousness, not only in judgment, 
but also in what he accomplished at the cross, that it was right and good for us. And, and as we understand it, not just to feel free, but to live transformed so that his righteousness might only not just be displayed in the gospel message and in our, our declaring of the gospel, but in our lives, that it will be displayed. The whole uh, ending of Romans, cha- uh, from chapter 12 to the end, is all about how the people of God are changed, how this is displayed, what God has done, taking us from being uh, unworthy, not righteous, to Christ transforming us to now, from chapter 12 to the end, just look at what these people do. These people love each other. They serve each other. They, they serve the world around them. They don't judge one another. They, they care most, above all things, for the glory of God, and they want to pursue that because they're forgiven. May we understand our forgiveness in such a way that it transforms us to live for his glory. Let's pray. God, you are holy. You are right to judge sin. Sin is a direct rebellion towards you. It is an offense towards you. It is treason. God, you you made this world and all that's in it, including us, to to see your worth, to declare your worth, to, to cherish your worth. And we have done nothing but the opposite. We have worshipped the created things rather than you, the creator. We have followed after our own fleshly desires, even when we know they're contrary to you. God, we need forgiveness. We're so thankful that you don't just say, all right, I'll forgive this type of person. Or I'll only forgive these types of sins. Your grace abounds. Your love is immeasurable. For that we are grateful. Thank you for Christ and what he accomplished for us. Not just a, a great example, but the one who absorbed, who took all of the wrath owing us. Thank you for that. May that truth and reality transform us to be people overflowing with gratitude day by day and all the more as we grow and mature. May we extend that uh, message of grace and, grat- and gratitude to others as well so they may, they may embrace it too. Thank you for your love and your care for us. We just pray you receive honor and glory as we uh, internalize your word. In Christ's name, amen.